welcome to All Right in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker, and me, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair. guest today is Sarah Tiang. Sarah Tiang is a poet, children's writer, and all-around generalist when it comes to writing. Her books for children run the gamut from board books, toesy toes, to YA breathing fire with a whole bunch of picture books in between. Her poetry books, Sweet Devilry, winner of the Gerald Lampert, and Status Update, nominated for the Pat Lowther, are a mix of traditional forms, lyric, and invented forms. She is the creative director at Poetry in Voice, and her new book is Grappling Hook, a poetry collection published by Palimpsest Press. Sarah will be appearing at Bookfest Windsor Festival du Livre on October 17th, and we are so pleased to have her with us on the podcast now. Welcome, Sarah Tiang. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So when and how did you first fall in love with writing? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, It was actually, I I had always loved reading and I'd always loved, you know, writing as a little kid, but I had never considered it a possible vocation or something to be taken seriously Um, until we had a party and there was this lovely, clumsy woman named Sherry Benning and she ended up breaking one of our wine glasses and she came back the next day and said I'm so sorry I broke your wine glass here's my book in exchange and it was this it it was called uh, Thin Moon Psalm and it was just this beautiful book of poetry and it was the first time that I thought you know she's young and she's clumsy and kind of goofy and funny and that's not what I thought writers were like so maybe maybe I could try this too so um I just kind of started pursuing it then and I would ask Sherry for advice and it became a lifelong passion that's awesome I mean you know speaking as somebody who occasionally tries to write and also breaks things I think that's it's a, I think that's great entry into poetry. That's wonderful. <laughs> and so uh, when you're not throwing parties, what is your writing mm. routine? Do you write every day? Is there a certain time? Do you journal? Anything like that? Yeah, I think um, I'm a little bit unusual in that I have no routine and I live in constant chaos. So um, <laughs> I, have, I have three kids. And um, I have several jobs. So I'm the creative director for Poetry and Voice. I'm also the um, editor for Art Poetry Magazine. I work for the Vancouver Manuscript Intensive. uh, And I also mentor students individually as well as try to write books. So um, I kind of have always just fit my writing in wherever I can. Um, When I had my last baby almost two years ago now I said to my writing group like you have to make sure that I that I keep writing so one thing that I started doing were these little 10 minute poems that I just tried to stick in because I'm finding it hard to to find time to write really large pieces so even just writing giving myself 10 minutes and saying well whatever you do with these 10 minutes you're going to put something down on the page 
has been very helpful because to me, it's kind of like a muscle. And if you just let it go completely, it will atrophy. But not all of us have time to go to the gym regularly either. So <laughs> it's just trying to get it in when you can. Grappling Hook is a love letter to people who are trying to make meaningful change in unprecedented times. So what, tell us a little bit about what strikes you as a meaningful change and what inspired you to write this book. Well, I think we all try to make meaningful change in different ways. Um, I, I balance my life between, you know, trying to, trying to be active in the world, um, in the, in, in social justice, in trying to make change that way. And then, as I mentioned before, I'm also a mother. And so a lot of that has to do with trying to raise your children in a way that is empathetic, understanding, and active. Um, and a lot of my writing comes from that. It comes from, like, when we were going to have my third, we are thinking about climate change and about the world that is to come. And there's always the question, like, how do you bring a child into this world and and how do you do it responsibly and should you even do it and the conclusion that we came to is that if we bring a child into the world with love and knowledge and and honesty then perhaps we can bring these children up to be um, not just responsible for the world but to be the ones who will help support the, the change as we go and my eldest is actually 17 now and she is um, huge in the anarchist um, community. She's always out there the, <laughs> helping the homeless and going to demonstrations. And she's a committed communist and she's just so socially engaged. And I find it really inspiring because I think that um, I think that both the small things that we do and the large things that we do all have effects. And in my poetry, and I do think that poetry can make change, I try to express that struggle and that that journey with both kind of the larger world and with the more intimate personal world. And I think you achieved that very well. I mean, I was thinking about some of the poems in this collection, um, the one about the boys from Charlottesville, you mm-hmm. approach it sort of as a mother's lament and that's mm-hmm. a very touching way to look at a really troubling issue. But, you know, even uh, the one about the complaints about people, complaints by people who call 911 about Amber Alerts, there's some humor and there's also just very difficult content that you're that you're managing um, often in a very intimate and focused way that that speaks to the humanity of everyone. But you are addressing really tough issues. We did see that motherhood, marriage, and the struggle for social justice and equity feature prominently in this collection, and you've kind of touched on on, on this a bit. How much did your own experiences growing up contribute to these poems? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, It's funny because just after I finished publishing this book, that kind of came up because my daughter had to interview me for school, and it was an interesting process because she kind of wanted the... The, the trauma <laughs> that, that sometimes comes with being, you know, I was one of the only um, racialized people in my neighborhood, in my community. And, um, but I felt very resistant to that too, because you also don't want to be defined by those experiences. And I, and I felt like, no, no, I'm so much more. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. You know, I, I got over it. it um, so I think it's something that 
continually informs us even in ways that that we don't realize. And as I was writing about it, I was realizing kind of how much um, I've kind of suppressed over the years. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of good and bad. I think that when you go through struggle in your life, whatever kind of struggle and everybody goes through struggle, I think that it can really open you up to seeing the world in a more empathetic way. And, you know, you mentioned the poem about Charlottesville. And one thing that I try to do, because when I hear about, for example, the Nazis in Charlottesville, um, it's very hard not to just immediately hate them and want to do violence to them. You know, that's that's my first reaction. Um, and then I have to try to remind myself, okay, these are these are humans. Nobody is nobody is born evil. We are products of our society, and our society is sick in so many ways. And so, how do we how do we bridge that gap without forgiving them for the horrors? of what they've done. Like, how do we still understand the humanity and people without letting them off the hook? Um, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but but I think I think that's kind of been my lifelong journey. And I think that, you know, some of my experiences as a racialized person has made me think about that as to how, how do I take those formative experiences and not let it harden me, but make me more open to the world. And you bring mindful uh, mindfulness and mindful experience to your writing for adults and also your children's writing. So what's the difference in your process? Is there a difference? Do you think in a different way, research in a different way? Yeah, I think that some things just call out for children's story. So sometimes it'll actually be a line in a, in a poem that I'm writing that I think, oh, that would be really good for, for a children's story. Um, I think in poetry, usually what I'm trying to do is really infuse ambivalence into my work. Um, so wherever I'm not sure of the answer, that's where I want to write about. Whereas with children's writing, so much of it is trying to see through the eyes of a child again with that same sense of discovery and wonder and openness. So that's what I try to do with my children's stories. So they're, they're kind of trying to um, hit, hit different things. And it's funny with kids, with poetry, I feel like you can usually edit a poem to the point where it's good. Um, with children's stories, I feel like they tend to either be good or not. <laughs> I'll write 30 of them. <laughs> and then there's the two that are really good. And the other ones just, there's no help for them. And I, I don't really know why. Maybe other people have a different process. So in some ways, children's literature might be a little bit harder than <laughs> writing poetry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like they're very related in that they're both, they both tend to be very visual genres that use compression and density of language. Um, but I think because children's literature has to be maybe a little bit more direct, it does tend to be a bit more hit and miss. But it's, the, it's you know, reading for kids is one of the best things in the entire world. I love reading poetry, but everybody tends to have a really um, intense poetry listening phase. 
which I never know if they're actually enjoying it or not. Whereas if you're reading for kids, you can tell if they're enjoying it or not, because they'll, they'll tell you, they'll be like, I don't like that story. And they'll be like, this is the best story ever. And kindergartners, especially, they always like come up really close and they, they touch you as you're reading. And it's just, it's, it's all very lovely. Wonderful. Um, are you working any new material right now? Uh, I'm still writing poetry and I have a few kids books that um, that I've just sent off and then I have a graphic novel that's been long in the making so I have an artist who's working on that right now but it's probably going to take a few more years to complete because the art is so intense for it. Would you like to read something for our listeners? Sure I thought um, I could read two poems I've got one kind of about my daughter and one about my son. Um, so this first one is called Rescue, and it's a glossa, which is a form that um, uses somebody else's lines. So the lines that I've used are from Ellen Bass, and these lines are, bring me your pain, love, spread it out like fine rugs, silk sashes, warm eggs, cinnamon, and cloves, and burlap sacks. Show me. And this is the poem. My friends and I are all in the middle of a crisis a daughter who cannot bear life, a husband whose departure cracks the marrow of the house, my own daughter lost and wandering in the forest of her body. All of us staring at our empty teacups, realizing we read our leaves wrong. Here we are retraining as first responders, digging through the rubble. Even recovery dogs are given volunteers who pose as rescuable among the dead. Bring me your pain, love. Spread your map of the disaster area and we'll pretend to rescue each other. We'll wind ropes around one another to descend into that windless place. Who knew that parenting would be so much searching blindfolded, calling ollie ollie oxen free, our shaky voices giving us away. Now, sifting through the ashes of their early childhoods, its intense, quick burn, we look for the raw, singed bird who is supposed to rise but instead gasps the air and thrashes fire out like fine rugs, silk sashes, breath beaten as dust rises in the wind. This is the secret of being a woman, we tell them. The fire that consumes you is ashes in the mouth. And though no one else does, we will always believe you when you say you burn. I know it seems like a thin bomb, but let us bring it to you anyway, folded in the aprons of our skirts, the way we used to carry windfall apples. Let us listen, stroke your hair, cook up infinite warm eggs, cinnamon spiced cookies, milky chai. Don't dismiss the sanctity of casseroles, of midnight phone calls and the women who offer to take a bat to your ex's car. May our girls discover that rescues happen as you link hands in the underbrush and call out into the night. That what you see in the face of your friend's despair is your own soul. And so you learn to hold her face and yourself gently. You unwrap each other and find beauty, like myrrh, fakes, tea, and cloves and burlap sacks. Show me. And then um, I'll read you the final poem in the collection, which I just realized is also a glossa. <laughs> so this one is called In Order to Become Men. Um, and the lines are from Richard Harrison. The lines are, with the same tight mouth, and the young man and my son and I, all born helpless in order to become men, the way birds are born naked. 
My son brandishes a sword at me and we pretend to cut each other down, bloodless. He's already mastered the art of a stoic face as I lop off his eye. Now you say, I win. And if you want, you can say it in girl language as if gender were geography, North and South, and we didn't all speak the same clean tongue of violence. My son, we are the same throughout, with the same tight mouth, the same clenched heart, a fist holding its only coin. My combatives class is filled with men, paratroopers, prison guards, and cops who have to secure their handguns before class. I'm the only poet, but I get the same high. Once, after I was knocked down, the young instructor slung his arm around my neck, ground his knuckle into my hair. We were sweat slick and laughing and bleeding, and it was enough that I had tried. And the young man and my son and I knew in our bones that violence is a kind of fire that can solder men together or temper in the body like a blade. What is it to raise a boy? I do want him to feel that power to be knocked down and raised up again by his brothers, to limp away having spent every cell of his blood's rush. My son, the poetry of it is the moment on your back, the knowledge of us once again, all born helpless in order to become men. And it is a miracle to become at all. Did I ever tell you about your father? How when he was 19, walking me home, both of us drunk, he brought me to his house and took my hands while I cried about my father, who was dying. He held my grief like it was sacred, and I saw then what kind of a man he would be. Tenderness shot through his bones like marrow, like flight in a hatchling awakened, the way birds are born naked. Thank you. That was lovely. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. So Sarah Tiang is the author of the new poetry collection, Grappling Hook, published by Palimpsest Press. She'll be one of the authors participating in Bookfest Windsor, Festival du Livre, which will be held this October. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts, or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, Sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.